Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Notice That is a project of Think Beyond a listener-funded media house focused on connecting humans through therapy and art. To keep this podcast going, we'd love for you to support us on Patreon by searching patreon.com slash thinkbeyondhealing in your favorite web browser. And don't forget to check out our new merch by going to our website at connectbeyondhealing.com and clicking on the merchandise tab. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. It is Melissa and I today, um, and maybe in the spirit of spontaneity, (laughs) kind of going off the plan a little bit, we had an episode lined out for um, continuing Francine's, um, the book review that we're doing with uh, Francine Shapiro's um, seminal EMDR text. Um, But then for me personally, I've had um, maybe the most intense week of therapy that I've ever had. Um, and selfishly, I just want to talk about it. Like I want to process it. And Mm -hmm. because this is a, a podcast about EMDR therapy, it seems like a cool like opportunity to do that. And maybe we'll get some meaningful content out of it. Yes. Well, and it seems like the kind of conversation that people would be interested in hearing. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, I don't even really know where to start with it. Um, well, what, what if we frame this in a particular way? What if, um, well, how do I want to say this? So I guess the urge that I'm having is to respond to what you just said exactly the way I would respond if I just got on a call with a consultee. Right. And so what I would say (laughs) in response to what you just said is, can you tell me what you mean by intense? For sure. I think that's a great way to go about exploring it. (laughs) And I have a feeling just to preface for the listener that there's going to be lots of pauses (laughs) in this episode. (laughs) And, and what's happening is you're staring into space and in, in, in deep consideration. <laughs> That's how I do things. Yeah. <laughs> and that is how I am as a therapist and uh-huh. uh, as a consultant and a human. <laughs> as well. Yeah, as a human, for sure. For sure, as a human. Yeah. What do I mean by intense? Both of these cases I've spent years with. 
And by nature of that time, I have grown and they have grown. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, I think intensity is the word I chose because something has happened in both of them that for me is a is a convergence that all of us in our healing journeys have an opportunity to experience in the spiral nature of time unfolding where mm -hmm. we so vividly can see the parallels between the past and the present mm -hmm. And it's like insight is just flooding in, in a cosmic download kind of way. Like I shouldn't be able to see everything I'm seeing so fast for these clients. And it's overwhelming, both of them in tears, almost like make it stop type of insight and illumination. Mm -hmm. And to hold space for that and to be a co-discoverer on that. It just feels like the most real thing in the universe. And so I guess intensity isn't even correct, but it's the best way I could say it <laughs> in a single word. Real may be the other way. I don't know. I think but I that's guess a, that's how I'd respond in short. Yeah. And that's a decent operational definition of intensity in therapy. Yeah. Is when the felt sense of realness. <laughs> yeah and rawness is the biggest thing that's happening yeah mm -hmm. yeah we're also in the middle of eclipse season so i think that it makes sense astrologically <laughs> <laughs> i am open to maybe we're all in a season of uh intensity i know that i've been there with some of my clients recently as well and uh hearing from others that i think that there are some sort of movements going on in humanity as a whole that um, maybe also contribute to weeks of intensity for us. I see those patterns. Yeah. Yeah, it just strips away the objective stability of a structured protocol. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so I ha I'm having a thought and I feel like so vulnerable, <laughs> potentially saying this out loud. Um, but Jen and I were having a conversation and I used a term that I think that I've thought it in my mind, but I've never actually said it out loud because there's something really um, abrasive about it. Mm. But what I, what I said out loud was something along the lines of, I hope that we are helping people as they become EMDR therapists and really develop that. I hope that we're helping them never feel like they have to be a script zombie. Script zombie. <laughs> so in, in deep vulnerability, I admit that I think that sometimes and that I worry sometimes that the way that we are trained and training and uh, you know, kind of brought up as therapists um, put us in a position to 
not have those kinds of experiences that you're describing because we do feel uh, some kind of allegiance or loyalty or pressure to um, honor the script in a way that sometimes dishonors the process that we're in. And I think that trying to find ways of talking about this and describing it that feel um, actionable and supportive is just sort of a like a constant wondering and really sort of a constant um, project of ours and certainly of mine personally to figure out how to describe or illuminate and communicate what we mean by that and how that can feel and why it's more effective. Hmm. Mm -hmm. As you say that, my internal process was, like I just heard the cacophony of voices (laughs) from the different parts of me. That I don't know if it's fair even to talk about these two experiences that I've that I've just as two of of maybe several in my in my therapy life, but I don't know if it's fair to expect this or or to talk about it in terms of a goal. I don't know. That feels strange because it in some ways. I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I want this type of subjective collision mm-hmm. to be yeah, facilitative of every person I work with and their healing journey. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what it is that makes it for these two individuals, like I said, I can't put necessarily like a in all my case conceptualization experience, I can't tell you why mm-hmm. it got here. And it's like why uh, now? Why now and why at all, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because it's mm-hmm. not, it doesn't feel like anything I controlled. And I didn't. I was a part of a dance, right. a part of a. Hmm. Yeah, part of something else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But it. It also feels incredibly authentic to talk about it as a part of the posture of beyond and yeah. what in our leadership in the EMDR community, mm-hmm. that that's what we're going for. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind yeah. of at this weird, like, I don't so know, the balance. Of, yeah, the timing of this is sort of particularly fun because like when you're describing that, what I am thinking about is um, how I've been imagining those kinds of encounters, you know, from a a body perspective and like what's actually happening internally. And I would identify those kinds of sessions as uh, what feels like standing in the middle of a lightning storm. Yeah. Right. Like it's so powerful. It is so energized that um you have to just sort of hold steady in it right and try to stay and not run for cover even though there's a part of you that kind of wants to yeah (laughs) and as a client um but like a 
a neurological lightning storm is occurring and it's so beautiful. And, you know, those moments of like transformational internal change that we've talked about. Um, I've been going kind of on this deep dive of watching videos of uh, like internal lightning storms in the hippocampus. Like you can find videos of this online. Totally beautiful. Um, But I haven't gotten to tell you this Bridger. So this is fun. This is rad. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's so relevant, but so uh, as a, a project I've taken, you know, the episode we did with Bruce and um, these videos of these lightning storms happening in the hippocampus and um, also a piece of music from Sleeping at Last. Oh, nice. Can't go <laughs> if wrong. You know, if you want to know, yeah, uh, I think Caleb and I have been talking about it, but it's uh, from his album called Space and we chose the song Mars. Nice. If anybody wants to go and listen to it, it's beautiful. But so last listen night, to it more than once. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. With your eyes closed. It's important. Yes. Um, so I, I took all of that. And last night I actually met with a woman that, uh, she is a, um, uh, performance artist. She's a spoken word poet that performs here in town. And so I, you know, deliver her all of this (laughs) mosaic (laughs) of experience. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And I said to her, I said, you know, I, I want to find a way to, let people feel what it feels like to be moved by the biological reality of what we're doing in our work. And there's something about just reading, you know, descriptions of the neuromechanics that just doesn't quite do it. <laughs> no, it just sort of, you know, but there, for me, there, there's something so um, moving about thinking about it that way that I desire to find ways to share that so that people can uh, be inspired in their work and uh, feel what that feels like. Um, And so this poet is writing us a spoken word uh, piece of art to communicate what memory reconsolidation really is. What it feels like. What it feels like. Yes. And uh, Oh, I have two professional dancers that have agreed to dance it for us. <laughs> nice. Uh, so, I mean, like, I, I believe in this so sincerely that, you know, our mission and vision and and what we're up to is really inviting people to consider our work in a much more artistic way. And yeah. like understanding the value of that for our work in particular, I think there's value in, you know, every role of being a human being, but, um, mm. to, to know how to be moved and be touched and be inspired by, uh, what's actually occurring between us and our clients. I think that's what you're describing. And it's a bit yeah. ineffable because that's kind of the point. Yes. The closest thing I can illustrate the feeling for me in, um, the na- <laughs> this can seem strange. <laughs> the National Weather Service has <laughs> has a team that is tasked with understanding hurricanes. Mm-hmm. And in a gigantic airplane, they fly straight into and above them, 
and send probes, video cameras, all kinds of instrumentation into the center of them. Mm-hmm. And you can watch these videos. You can watch these, uh, these people work. And to see, to be in the center of something like that, where you have every element of our universe coming together, mm-hmm. moving. Yeah. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And now I'm thinking of what it would be like to layer over Mars from sleeping at last to that video. And <laughs> that might be how I spend this evening. I'm not sure, but. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I spent last evening talking to a poet about memory reconsolidation. So <laughs> I think that's rad. And that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Um, it really does. I mean, I'm I'm realizing in this moment that we're having a very like four or five conversation. If oh, there was totally. ever like <laughs> totally <laughs> the epitome of About an Enneagram four, four and an Enneagram five talking. Hundred uh-huh. percent. And that's what we bring to the table. So it might as well just be. <laughs> but it, it is really a problem, I think, that we need to talk about at a, in a much larger way. Perhaps this episode being one of many formal invitations from beyond, but how do we make sense of this potential in every human interaction mm-hmm. within a context where procedural fidelity right. is a prerequisite to ethical belonging? That is hard. You know, the idea, like the term trait change feels so Ugh. <laughs> but within the EMDR language, that's the closest thing that we can really get to with yeah. these two sessions that I had. Because yeah. on a scale, yeah, these would be off the charts, trait change level experiences. Right. And the consolidation window being so dense mm-hmm. for these two people, mm-hmm. making, I mean, enormous changes in their mm-hmm. day-to-day life and their integration of self. Yeah. But that's not because I followed the eight phases, at least not directly or causally. Right. It was a part of it, mm-hmm. just as everything else was. And that's, I guess, what I'm still wrestling with in some way is Mm-hmm. It, that's what makes it feel strange to talk about this these two moments as a goal of EMDR. Like that feels objectifying. Mm-hmm. It feels well, because it is objectifying. It is a gross oversimplification. Yeah, and and you know it's putting a label on um, something that is so dynamic and subjective and relational. Yeah, that. It, it's the it's the same problem of any time we label anything, um, we Im- immediately lose vast quantities of meaning, mm-hmm. and we have to to try to communicate. Communicate, but I think, yeah, you know, like, yeah. I mean, maybe what this conversation is attempting to wrestle with is that to me to communicate through language something that is not. Um, it is not that. That doesn't <laughs> fit into those no, boxes. It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, I think that's why at this point I'm I'm reaching for 
uh, different means of expression. You know, I'm reaching for music and for dance and for poetry and for um, experience where somebody can encounter a stimuli that gives them a body template of this is what we mean to be an artist therapist that is moved by um, the dynamic that's happening of the moment and to decide that that is the most relevant bit of data that you could be working with and tracking. Yeah. And when we do that, um, I mean, I, I think what maybe we have to begin saying and, and just sort of admitting to is that what we're describing is a really big paradigm shift in what it means to be a therapist. Yeah. And, you know, maybe it is the shift of what is traditionally meant by, you know, a licensed professional counselor does these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think sometimes it's, it's harder to keep trying to expand a category and maybe we just need to name it as a different thing mm. and allow there to be validity and space and recognition for the other thing right because there is a a time and a place and a reason why that is there but i think that there are a lot of people that started in that category of oh i'm a counselor i'm a therapist and this is what that means and now something is happening through the evolution of our uh, awareness through research through um re-understanding what it means to be a human alive today, right? There's mm-hmm. so many factors that are at play that's making a lot of us feel like, I don't think I fit that category, or I don't think I want to fit that category as neatly. Yeah. Or I would at least like to step out of that category when I have the room to do so and the freedom to do so. Yeah. You got to be with some brand new counseling students here recently. Oh, yes, and, I did. <laughs> um, for me, just as a, as a counselor educator, this is a this is something I say to to students a lot. Um if if the space is right, because the origin story of healers is so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. It's a unique calling in a lot of ways mm-hmm. in our species that we feel a closeness and drawing to tragedy and suffering and pain and mm-hmm. trauma. And it's, it's not in a, a malingering or voyeuristic way. It's like, no, I want to get, I, I want to be in it. Mm-hmm. To that's what I'm built for. Empower. Yes. That's what I'm built for. That's why I'm here. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad to me that the answer from professional academia to that vulnerable disclosure is become a professional counselor, become a social worker, become a psychologist, that that's the answer. Mm -hmm. Because I think it makes inevitable what you just said, which is we will feel like that's not what I got into this for, but I guess if that's the only way I can mm-hmm. earn belonging and acceptance, then I have to 
develop this professional identity and attend these conferences and start filling out my CV and learn these protocols and get trained in more advanced ways in this area, you know, just like, Mm -hmm. do we ever have a space where we're actually coming to say, yeah, but what about your heart? What, what about what you were trying to make an authentic move forward from as your origin? Mm -hmm. Like all this stuff aside, all this accolade and all this, you know, all these objective. Yeah developmental goals aside like what about the heart what about you as a healer yeah what's going on there (laughs) i mean i think what you're bumping up against is that our our field when it was you know sort of solidified right around the 1950s and kind of the the Mm post-war era when america was in a phase of rebuilding itself is really when you know the professional identity of what we now recognize as counselors and therapists was getting uh established and it's very different than what was happening in western europe pre-war and and during war and um the psychoanalytic tradition and some of the body-oriented traditions that were happening over there uh like the the 1950s era american (laughs) psychology um took an interesting turn and you know, I think one of the things that is frequently kind of left out of our history lessons of our own lineage is that um, psychologists were recruited in the same way that so many industries were to help with the problem of a decimated mm-hmm. economy yeah. after the Capitalistic war. Capitalistic interest. Yeah. 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 And and one of the um, like ways <laughs> truly that this was disseminated is that uh, leaders in the field were tasked with teaching therapists to promote a agenda, not with ill intent, but mm-hmm. at least I don't think so. Um, but they, they referred to it as the, um, the empty self, mm. right? That if, if we promoted this idea that our current state of unhappiness, depression, struggle, um, lack of fulfillment could be answered by pursuing the American dream. You're not whole. Yeah. Yeah. I I am not a whole person in and of itself, in in and of myself. And so the idea was that if that would happen, then people would begin to buy. And if we had a population that was buying, then there would be enough money flowing that we could rebuild. And that's exactly what happened. And I think- Buying something that can't ever be satiated. Well, no, I mean, the point is keep buying. <laughs> yes. Yes. Just keep buying, like the right? thing you're buying is never going to actually yeah. make a difference. Yeah. And, and the perfect consumer. Oh, yeah, it is. And, and, you know, I, I think like most of us have no idea that that is part of our lineage. And what that means is that we have to recognize that the way that our training programs were originally created, embedded within them is this idea of the empty this agenda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, looking at that agenda and saying, wait a second, like, do I want to continue to perpetuate that? I think we also have to look at the way that maybe we as therapists have been trained to see um, the path towards being a good therapist, provider, healer, et cetera, as I need to fill myself with other people's knowledge. Mm -hmm. I need to fill myself with um, more information techniques, strategies, interventions, trainings, et cetera, 
Um, and then I will have what I need in order to. Because yeah. I'm not well. whole. I have an empty self. And so I, I need to I fill up so I'm that I can to, yeah. give. Yeah. Yes. And, and it absolutely produces um, what you were describing as far as a disconnect from our, our own heart and our work and yes. our own um, natural ability to give. And uh, that that is actually the most important thing that we could be giving and our training and all of that is really just a vehicle that we load all of that upon mm -hmm. <laughs> to, to make the delivery more efficient and, and safe for everybody involved, et cetera. And so while I think all of those things have a place, I think the, the focus um, has really, really been perpetuated from the beginning of our training. Mm -hmm. And what is MDR that not excluded? Not excluded. No, I mean, I I don't think there's there's any uh, modality that I would say is excluded. Um, and one of the things that I think we all kind of struggle with is that we believe this, and yet we are trainers. And what a tricky yes. dance that is. <laughs> yeah, the hypocrisy alarms start to and kind yeah, of like, like oh. wait a second. And, you know, are we making people feel like they need to fill up on what we're offering so that they can be equipped? to do what they want to do. And none of us actually believe that our actual heart is that we would have a, a space in a community mm -hmm. where what we're being filled with is support and togetherness. And um, yeah, not, not just more information. Yeah. That, belonging. That's why yeah, I keep yeah. coming back to that is that's what we're really looking for. Mm -hmm. And, and needing yeah. as a, yeah, as a field as a whole. Yeah, and to have an authentic profession that is congruent yeah. with that need and that mm -hmm. belonging. Mm -hmm. Did you have you watched that uh, TV show Yellowstone? Oh yeah. Okay. Are you kidding okay. me? I I live. <laughs> I want to let, me you, let me tell you why. I live on. Uh, generational farm and right. olivia's grandfather is obsessed with that show okay and so if you're gonna hang out with ronnie willoughby you're gonna <laughs> you're, you're probably gonna be watching yellowstone, yellowstone reruns <laughs> and <laughs> there's something about the story that does captivate like say oh. what you want about it it's real <laughs> it, it, it is so real and so human but the the thing that you know brought it to mind was the whole concept of you know if you're gonna be a a ranch hand, you know, totally. you, you get branded and, you know, while there's so many things about that that are absolutely horrifying to just me, right? like, yeah, terrible, yeah, like the like shrieking violence yeah, going on. Yeah. 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 Like, uh, cannot abide. But the, I think <laughs> the point is, is that like, um, there, there is something about the idea of you choose to, uh, step into this lifestyle. And in that situation, nobody expected that you already know what to do, but you're honored because you've chosen to show up yes. and it's an assumption that you're committed, that you're going to stay and learn how to live this life. Um, because that's who you are now. Mm -hmm. Now I don't want, uh, us to go too far with that analogy for yeah. obvious No, no, no. The parallels like end now. Like, <laughs> no, no, right there, we're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just a cool uh, representation of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but it, it reminded me so much of, I mean, gosh, I think it's been years ago that you and I had that conversation, Bridger, about how, wouldn't it be cool if we could create a healer's guild? Yes. Right. Where 
the the whole premise of the work is okay you've decided like you you're you're committing yourself to this lifestyle and now be in community with other individuals that are living the same way so that you can have ongoing community and mentorship and uh refinement of your craft not because you don't already know enough or or you don't already belong but there's this um kind of natural and organic relational process and the idea of a guild where, you know, the, the younger individuals are taught and mentored by the older and the older individuals are supported and, and um, yeah. And get to enjoy the enthusiasm of who's new and who's young. Right. And, and there's this kind of mutual support that totally uh, everybody's learning and growing all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's been kind of at the bedrock of us imagining like, what are we up to here and how are we, wanting to shape things. And it really does feel like this constant battle between our heart for that vision. And we still live in a very uh, capitalistic situation that demands certain methods of being together. And I ran across this phrase recently called the aesthetic of intimacy, which Mm. just like, I mean, that's a delicious phrase. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it you know it was in this long conversation about like the aesthetic of togetherness mm. and how um like the art form of being together in a very mindful way um is just not something that we have a lot of practice and training in and to me like that's a lot of what we're kind of circling around is is re-understanding that what we need to learn more than anything is that aesthetic of how to be together totally. in a way that's um healing naturally yeah and it, it it to me we have to embrace the challenges of or, or the barriers to that in our mm-hmm. culture at every moment that we can um because you know the 12 hour days of agency life or the you know well i have to charge this amount because of whatever you know the 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 definitely real components of living in this culture show up mm-hmm. in the way we think about our profession. But how do we still find authenticity in that that is congruent, like is is in a felt way plugged in to mm-hmm. this beating heart? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. feels like one of those conversations that there's no snappy conclusion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm very okay with, but just feel yeah, maybe just to kind of like loop it back <laughs> to the beginning <laughs> of these two moments. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think EMDR as a, like as a larger umbrella make space for these types of opportunities to be realized in mm. relationship. And I hope that for each person that's listening to this, they feel encouraged to try and find it, mm-hmm. to try and find this within each of their therapy relationships. Um, don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel so curious about what happens 
like in, in our, you know, experiential selves, if we go into a session, imagining ourselves as an artist Mm. and a collaborative artist, Mm. right? Um, You know, you said at the beginning that something that was really apparent to you in those sessions is that you didn't do an intervention that created this moment. Mm. It was very collaborative and kind of spontaneous and emergent of very intimate happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I completely agree when I reflect on sessions that have had that kind of lightning storm quality to them. It's so present moment and so kind of in the flow of the relationship that sometimes quite literally, I'll drop whatever I'm holding. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and I'll notice that the clients will do the same thing. It's like uh, suddenly it's not about like the the thing that we were just doing, but the experience itself is so potent that, you know, well, like I forget to turn on the buzzers. Yeah. And, and they don't even notice that I didn't turn on the buzzers, right? We're like just that, in it. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're in it and it's, it's flowing and there's this sense of no matter what, don't interrupt what is yeah. happening right now. Like don't. Don't get in the way. Just don't get in the way. And let it and, unfold. And keep leaning in and and that's the whole goal of these very specific interventions that were you know the the components of emdr like the assessment and the bilateral stimulation like all of that's trying to wake this up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes we overdo it when we rush back in and say like oh we need more of that or i'm going to busy myself because this is i don't know just so um alive mm-hmm. it's like if we knew the goal of those interventions we could maybe find these places more reliably and know how to be in them yeah and i mean that's why we still teach the interventions yeah right and and why we still will because without them i think it's it yeah. sometimes feels like wandering around and groping in the dark right yeah, like what but like how what, do we get once, there yeah but but once you've found where you're going you know don't keep just staring at the map, like pick your head up and look around. No. Be around. I love that. <laughs> that to me is a great way to end. Yeah. yeah. Um, once you get to where you're going, quit put looking at the map. The spectacle and map down. Like you don't, <laughs> you found <Yeah>. it. <laughs> you don't need it. <laughs> it's so interesting. I was, I asked Caleb a question yesterday. You know, we've been working on a new training together. And so we're in this lovely kind of incubation phase mm-hmm. and having a lot of, conversation and i was asking him about what this process feels like to him of, of in his body what is the sensation and the kind of body held metaphor um that comes to him when he thinks of this process of like finding where he needs to be with a client and leaning in and he the metaphor that came to him was the feeling of rock climbing and finding a good hold mm. there's sort of this feeling of like you test you test and then you can feel like Oh yeah, this this is a good place to to lean in and really grab on and and sink in for a moment. And it's not that you're going to stay there forever, um, but when you find a good spot, like mm. don't move too fast, right? Yeah, Just hang on. <laughs> yeah, hang hang on for a second. And uh, you know, he was talking about the felt sense and and fingertips and toes of 
um, that testing and feeling. And mm. uh, it's a it's a sensation that you learn over time of what's going to be a good spot and not. And both he and I had this strong sensation of early on when you're learning MDR or any other modality, the energy is this very kind of forward oriented push energy, mm-hmm. right? Like I am headed somewhere with my client. <laughs> like gotta we're go. pushing forward. Yeah, we, we got to go. Um, but this, this way that we're describing is much more of a sinking in. Mm-hmm. And so the, the feeling is how, how deep can we go and how much can we settle into this spot and really feel the depths of what this is. And I think that deepening energy just sits really different in our body than that mm. push forward, go forward energy does. Yeah. Um, so I think like we can keep the same scripts, we can keep the same process, um, but coming to it with that kind of depth oriented energy, it changes everything because it changes the way that we are tracking and making clinical decisions. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, thank you for exploring with me. Yeah. Always happy to. Yeah. Four and a five. <laughs> we'll find some pretty intense ways of connecting yeah, I mean, and exploring. If, I was going to say, like, if you want an embodied experience of what it means to sink in rather than push forward, I think this is a good place this to is be. An example. Yeah, between the chasm beneath the enneagram of four and yes, five, like it's just five, a pit. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah pit. Yeah, most, most days it does not feel like a pit of despair, but you know, of no, course, no. can get on that too. So can get there. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Well, so before we wrap up, I do want to, you know, invite, um, you know, as we're talking about kind of this community that we love to create and this guild of healers idea that we're facilitating, um, you know, one of the main ways that we do that is through cohort based learning. Mm-hmm. Not to say that, you know, three day trainings aren't still a reasonable way to learn, but I think both you and I have a strong preference for having need more time, time. <laughs> to really kind of sink in and, and soak in. Um, and so we have some uh, courses coming up that I do want to invite everybody to. So one of the spots that I like love to sink in is um, around dissociative disorders, mm. uh, because I think for me, there's a lot of reasons why I'm so passionate about it. But one of them is because I really believe that it was my uh, clients early in my career that had DID that taught me about the necessity of artistry, mm-hmm. that there's really no other way to work uh, with those kinds of presentations if we're not willing and able to to sink into those depths and open yeah. up to um, symbolic ways of communicating and processing. And so- It's not uh, paint by numbers. No, like God, no. Yeah. There's nothing straightforward <laughs> about that. Yeah. No. And so the, you know, the dance and the adaptation and uh, being able to hold all of that complexity is something that I love to talk about and uh, teach about. And so I do a six month cohort and we're starting one in December called Treating the Dissociative Spectrum. Uh, so I just want to let everybody know that that one's filling up right now. And uh they're 90 minute calls. And what I love about it is I kind of teach at the beginning, but then we take a lot of time, like the whole second half of the call, we're talking about cases and really sinking into the depths together and feeling not only, you know, what could they do with this client situation, but also really sitting with how does it feel to be the therapist in that space? Mm. And how do we, you know, adjust our posture and uh, meet these individuals in a way that is really supportive to the complexity of what they're working with. 
Um, so that is coming up. I think it starts on December 12th, but you can go to our website and find the information there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. awesome. Okay. All right. Well, stay tuned for more. I think next week we'll probably pick up with a conversation we planned to have we can do that. today. Yep. So yep. Yep. It, it, it'll be a good one too. Just a different yes. flavor. <laughs> different flavor. Totally. Yes. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, as always, stay stay connected, um, stay curious, <laughs> um, and we'll see you uh, around. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye, everyone. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast.